Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey there, everybody. I'm Thomas Frank, and welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast. This is episode 47, and we are climbing ever closer to 50, which is a completely arbitrary number and means absolutely nothing. But for some reason, I'm still excited to get to it. So um, whatever, man. Anyway, if you're new to the show, this show is basically uh, in existence to help you become awesome at college. And I define that by studying better, being a more efficient learner, um, landing your dream job, just basically rocking it in the career space, and also graduating with the least amount of student debt possible so you can start uh, achieving your financial goals. So this is episode 47. And to that end, I've got a guest on the show. His name is Tyler Tervoren, and uh, we've been friends for a while. I think back in 2010, maybe even before I found, uh, started my own blog, I found his blog, which was back then called Advanced Riskology, and now it's riskology.co. But he had this really cool post that I found where he had challenged himself to go around the streets of his town and ask people to take a picture of him. And um, it kind of blew my mind because I was like, I would never do anything like that. So the topic that we're going to be talking about today, and it's not the only thing we get to in this episode, but what I emailed him about and what I wanted to discuss with him was essentially networking, making friends, making connections when you are an introvert. And I have a bit of a confession to make. Um, it may not seem like it because I have all these these platforms, a podcast, a YouTube channel and all that, but I think... Uh, naturally, I'm an introvert. And before I got practiced at it, I actually had a really hard time meeting people and making small talk and essentially putting myself out there and making conversations and making friends. Uh, and I had to do a lot of work to become better at this. So what I want to do is help all the people out there who feel like me, like they're introverts, like it's hard to meet new people. Either it's hard to walk up and strike up a conversation in the first place, or maybe it's hard to continue those conversations and uh, actually continue the connection once you get past the intro. I want to help anybody with those problems to sort of get over it and or maybe just get a little bit better in that area. And Tyler is an excellent person at challenging himself and, and growing in that area. I think he's an introvert as well. So in this episode, we'll talk about this introvert scale, this sort of spectrum that we all fall upon and how we can start improving it and getting closer to our goal of being able to meet new people and make friends more easily. So that's what's coming up. Uh, if you haven't gotten my book yet, it's called 10 Steps to Earning Awesome Grades While Studying Less. And if you want to earn awesome grades, and if you want to get that book for free, you can go over to collegeinfogeek.com slash book, download it right there. Also, if you've got questions, you can email me always, thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. I'd love to answer your questions. I'm developing some new ideas for how to answer those questions. So stay tuned for the uh, revelation of those ideas. They're still cooking about in my head right now, so I don't want to say a whole ton about them yet. but Stuff is coming down the road. Also, we are about to hit, you know, let me check real quick uh, on my YouTube dashboard here. Refreshing. We are at 3,998 subscribers on the YouTube channel, so very close to 4,000. And nothing incredibly special will happen at 4,000, but just, just to tell you, if you haven't checked it out yet, I'm doing weekly YouTube videos over on that place called YouTube. <laughs> and uh, you can check them out. So actually, I'm having a lot of fun doing videos and it's sort of a very, very uh, main area of focus these days. So collegeinfogeek.com slash videos if you want to check out the YouTube channel. And you can subscribe to that channel. You can also subscribe to this podcast over on the show notes for this episode, which you'll find at cigpodcast.com. Scroll down to episode 47 with Tyler Devorn, and you'll get the show notes, which include a summary, links to any websites and tools and apps and things we talked about, and also instructions on how to subscribe. So that's all I got for the intro. Let's dive into this interview with Tyler. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Tyler. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So we're talking about uh, networking or making friends or whatever you want to call it for introverts today. And I want to point out something that I saw on your site back when I found it probably two or three years ago. 
Um, there was this project where you were like going around. I think you were asking people to take a picture with you or something randomly. Oh yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I since abandoned the project, but I'd like to get back into it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was traveling around the country and around the world a lot, a few years ago, I was taking my video camera with me and just as a kind of a way to, to get myself to, um, you know, to open up to strangers a little bit more and get better at, uh, talking to strangers as I decided to start this little film project where I would go around and just, you know, do like a man on the street kind of interview thing where I'd like flag down strangers and be like, ask them, um, the biggest risk. I asked them two questions. I asked them like the biggest risk they ever took in their life. And then I asked them like, if they knew they wouldn't fail, what would they, uh, what would they try to achieve? Oh, okay. And, so this is actually questions you were asking them. Yeah. So I did like a little mini interview style kind of thing. Okay. And then I was just, it was just for me. But then, uh, once I, you know, after getting like 10 in every city or so, I realized, Oh, I should turn this into like a, a little video to share with people. To, and it was just like a little fun side project that I did. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that, and this was, I think this was back when I was maybe a sophomore or junior, and yeah. I still was pretty nervous even going to conferences and stuff, and I was like, I would mm-hmm. never be able to do that, like, not in a million <laughs> years. Well, it's funny, is that's that's how I felt when I started, but I just finally had gotten, like, um, so I, I identify very strongly as an introvert mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that I don't get my, you know, my energy, the energy that I get comes from kind of being alone or recharging and, like, a quiet kind of a quiet kind of space. I'm very contemplative. Um, and so, um, but at the same time, I also really enjoy getting to know new people and building connections and feeling like I'm contributing something, you know, useful to other people's lives and that, you know, I'm getting the same from them. Like all that stuff that is normally reserved for what we normally, uh, uh, prescribe to, uh, or prescribe as a, as a, being an extrovert, I also really enjoyed. And so I've, it was kind of like I identified as an interviewer, as an introvert, but I have all of these tendencies and things that I enjoy that make me feel like I should be an extrovert, which also had like the side effect of making me feel like maybe I was like failing. Right, like right. Being who I'm supposed to be or something. Uh, until I realized, you know, like what it's all about is just kind of, um, it's all about just where you get your energy from. And okay. figuring out how to figuring out how to um, do the things that you know seem interesting to you, but maybe you're not naturally inclined to do, mm. at least for long periods, uh, in a way that works for you, so that you can you know so that you can meet and meet new people, build new connections, you know, grow your business, do that kind of stuff without feeling like without either always feeling like a failure or feeling like you're totally worn out at all times, like trying to keep up appearances. Yeah. So what it's sounding like is. Um you know, we have this traditional definition of introverts and extroverts. Uh, the, at the extremes, we can say it's binary, you know, either or. I think most people would see it on a spectrum. Um, but yeah. maybe maybe we could see it on like a grid, like a, you know, two-dimensional instead of just one-dimensional line where you define, you know, where you get your, your energy from. Like you and I get our energy from probably chilling by ourselves, reading a book, doing whatever at home. Yeah. But there's also the other, like the, the y-axis where... Um, do you like enjoy making those connections? Do you really get a lot of value out of that or not? And maybe you're the type of person that has an introvert battery and needs to recharge, but still really enjoys making connections and really enjoys when you find a, you know, a genuine person to build a relationship with. Yeah. Well, and it's really good to, to note that like, you know, how we've looked at introversion and extroversion in the past is all wrong in terms of mm-hmm. how it actually works right? Like nobody is just a pure introvert and nobody is a pure extrovert. In fact, we all share the same, uh, we all share the same, uh, kind of tendencies, uh, but to different, you know, but different parts of them come out differently in our personalities. So it really does exist more on a spectrum. And recently I've heard, um, a lot of talk about what people like to call, um, you know, being an ambivert, which is kind of like this new sort of like, almost like a, like the androgynous way of describing someone who's neither like an, in, neither like super introverted or super extroverted. They're just kind of an average everyday Joe. And now like the, the, the popular term for them is to say I'm an ambivert, right? Like, okay. Um, and it's, but I think the most important thing to realize is this, it's not binary, right? Like, like right. you just mentioned, um, it's something that, you know, everybody, everybody possesses all the same things. It's just different things come out in different ways, depending on your personality. Definitely. 
Uh, and I think like it's also a, it's a, I guess a journey, you know, like you're not always the exact same level of introverted or extroverted, um, with deliberate practice, you can, it becomes more comfortable, I think. Right. Yeah, certainly. Well, I mean, that's just true. That's true of anything, right? The more you, the more you get used to something, the less you fear it, the less you, um, the less you think about it and the, the more automatic it becomes. Um, maybe one of the, one of the biggest misconceptions about introversion is that in the past, the part of the binary example that you gave was, um, you know, for the long time we would say, um, introverts are shy mm. or the, and the extroverts are super outgoing. Um, it might be more true to say that an extrovert is more naturally very outgoing, but to say that an introvert is shy is actually quite incorrect. In fact, most introverts, uh, value, you know, deep friendships and, and meeting new people and doing all that stuff all the time. But shyness is actually like a trait that exists outside of, outside of introversion. So that's just the fear of making new connections, really? Yeah, that's basically, yeah, shyness is almost kind of like something that exists on the, on the fear spectrum instead of like Mm -hmm. the personality spectrum. Okay. And it's like, yeah, exactly. So the, the project where you went and interviewed people around, uh, you know, just on the street, that was sort of a deliberate attempt to get over shyness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because my whole life, like I wouldn't describe myself as a shy person. I was definitely shy when I was a child. Mm. Um, I was, I was hesitant to, you know, talk to strangers. Um, I was really insecure about, you know, asking, I I remember all the time what, that it was, I, I would get in in interesting conversations, almost little fights with my mom because she would take me when I was a little kid, she would take me to the, um, to the barber to get my hair cut and she'd sit me down in the chair and she'd say, tell him what you want. And she'd walk off. And I was too shy to tell the <laughs> barber what I, what kind of haircut I wanted. And so he or she would always end up cutting my hair, you know, in whatever way they thought looked good. And then I would be like, <laughs> super, I would be super polite and be like, Oh, I love it. And then as soon as like, as soon as I would leave, and I was like, you know, six years old or whatever. As soon as I leave, I was like in tears, telling my mom that like I hated my new <laughs> couldn't go to school because I was too shy to even talk to you know someone who was getting paid to do something for me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I grew out of that for the most part, but there's there was still uh, there was still definitely something about me, and even to this day, a little bit um, unnatural, uncomfortable for me in terms of you know, walking up to a complete stranger and just striking up a conversation. That's just something I wanted to be more comfortable with because I felt like, you know, in my line of work, what I do, um, the type of person I want to be, I could benefit greatly by getting better at that. So I decided to take on this little project. Yeah. It's kind of a, a way to end that fear. Cool. So as I've been following you, I kind of learned that you have like this really wacky story, like climb Mount Kilimanjaro. You had this whole uh, crazy episode of the Russian border where somebody wanted to get a bribe or something. Like yeah. you were on this website. So what like started all this this crazy stuff leading up to advanced riskology, which is now just riskology? Yeah. So like what led up, like what started that journey? Yeah. And I guess I didn't ask you, like, did you go to college or was it just sort of, okay. So what was the progression from uh, student life to what you're doing now? Yeah. So, um, in college I actually studied architecture and so Hmm. my degree is in architecture. Just like Pat. (laughs) Yeah. Just like Pat Flynn. Yep. (laughs) Um, and just like Pat Flynn, I am no longer doing anything. In that <laughs> Although Pat's Pat's more true to the uh, true to the cause than I am, because he at least still runs a few websites. I think that have to do with uh, that have to do with like green building and that kind of stuff. That is true. Um, but I ended up so I went to college for architecture, and uh, the way I describe my uh, the way I describe my sort of path to how I got where I was, was sort of like, um, probably like what a lot of people experience. Um, no major sort of life changing experience that led to it. No major like, um, uh, breakdown or anything like that. It was just a series of small, but building, uh, miscalculations and poor decisions, you know, Uh, just little ones that, you know, over the course of time built up to this kind of lifestyle that I woke up one day and was like, this is, this is not right. (laughs) Okay. And so, so what was, what was the, this is not right. So I studied architecture in school and I realized I didn't want to be an architect. Mm. 
instead of like actually doing some soul searching and figuring out what I did want to do, I decided to try to parlay, you know, all the way I was stuck in the, what do they call, um, sunk cost, you know, the sunk cost fallacy. Right. Um, which kind of says that, you know, the more you put into something, the less you are willing to give up to it. It's the reason why people stick with bad decisions, stay in bad relationships, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It was keeping me in this mindset of like, well, I have to make use of all this work I've done towards my architecture degree. So I ended up using my architecture degree to get a job in construction. And I worked as a construction manager for a number of years um, during and out of, and after, uh, and after school. And I kind of progressed through that. I was, you know, uh, getting my, you know, my yearly raises and promotions and working my way up the ladder uh, for this big construction company. Um, but just every single day realizing, um, you know, I'd always, I would kind of sometimes ask myself, like, can you see yourself like sitting in this chair doing this work for the next 30 years? And mm. I found myself avoiding that. Like every time I asked myself the question, I would avoid it. I'd avoid yeah. answering because I knew the answer was no. Like there's no <laughs> way I, like I couldn't live with myself doing that. So it eventually got to the point where um, I was so stressed out at work and so not feeling in love with what I was doing that I wanted to find something else and I had no idea what it was going to be. Just no idea at all. Um, so I tried a bunch of like I started I started a blog just to see what blogging was all about because I you know before I started blogging I had no idea that I liked writing. And so I started just this random blog one day years ago to see what it was like, decided I liked it, um, but wasn't sure how to make money with it or how to like, you know, turn it into a job or anything. Uh, I tried a bunch of other stuff at one point. The, I, I had a plan to become a professional musician of some sort. Okay. Uh, I knew how to like, <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty good at running like uh, pretty good at running like home recording studios. So I thought maybe I could do something in the recording industry. Mm. Um, I tested, a lot of different ideas. I even tested like doing some more construction related stuff, like running my own construction business. But then I realized like, no, don't do that. That would be like another, that'd be like another like little nugget on the pile of bad decisions. <laughs> so you didn't actually do that one. So I didn't actually do that. Okay. One. <laughs> but, um, eventually I just kind of, um, it just kind of this, this whole process that lasted a number of months, almost a year, probably, uh, culminated with me realizing, you know, a few, really important things about myself, mostly that, you know, I was intensely curious, uh, about why people behave the way they do. Um, why we're afraid of certain things, why we're comfortable with other things. Um, I was really fascinated by, you know, by adventures, people who, uh, you know, explorers and people who, um, you know, face the biggest fears of their lives and things like this. Um, and I was just really interested in psychology and, and I always had been and I've tried, it started with me just trying to figure out how to apply it to my own life, to get over my own fears and try new things. And, you know, that all ended with me, you know, uh, running marathons on all the continents, climbing some you know, <laughs> big mountains and stuff. So it, I mean, it worked for me. Like I learned a lot about myself and how to like motivate myself to do bigger things. Um, and now like I've, I'm learning how to kind of try to distill that into, you know, bite-sized pieces that people can use in their own life, in their life, rather than just me writing about myself all the time. Right, right. So that's like, that was like a really long, <laughs> a really long way to explain the journey. But that's kind of like, that's, that's what went through my head kind of over all the, that year or so of learning, you know, who I was and what I really wanted to do. And that's yeah. why psychology was back in, um, mid 2010. So it's been almost, yeah, four and a half years now I've been at this. Okay. So you started your site around the exact same time I started mine. Mm -hmm. Yep. Was this why you were still working at the construction job or was it afterwards? Oh, so I left out an important detail. Um, I started Riskology in 2000, in June of 2010. Um, after, so January 1st, 2010 was the first time in my entire life I ever set a, um, a New Year's resolution. I always thought they were super lame, stupid. Mm. Nobody ever stuck to them. Why would I bother? Um, if I want to do it, if I want a goal, why don't I just do it whenever I feel like it? <laughs> um, but I decided just for fun, because everyone, all my friends were doing it, that I would start my own goal. And my New Year's resolution was to quit my job by June 1st. And so I was giving myself six months to figure something else out, figure out how to like get it making a little bit of money so I would feel comfortable jumping ship. And then on February 5th, I got laid off. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. 
And so I, I had this brief moment of, of opportunity. It was opportunity in two, in two directions. One was like everybody, like I was, I was still popular and liked by everybody I worked with. And so literally everyone was willing, was like, wanted to like write me a letter of recommendation. They all had connections in the industry. Like they were certain, you know, like if I had spent, if I'd spent a month searching, I probably could have found an even better job than what I had. Um, or I could take this as an opportunity to like, you know, thrust myself into something I wasn't quite ready for, but I knew I wanted to do. And I ultimately decided to do the second one. Okay. And that was, uh, and that was, that was start Riskology. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so you started the site with the intention of building a full-time income off of it, like right away. Yeah. Well, so I was in the, I was in the fortunate position of having been in a, in a job that paid me quite well mm. for a few years and I, um, I had saved quite a lot of money. So I wasn't in a panic mode okay. about trying to figure out how to make money right away. I was more interested in figuring out how to build an audience, figure out how to become, you know, the writer that I wanted to be become, to become. But yeah, that was always a part of the equation was learning how to, learning how to make money. Okay. Interesting. So, uh, you know, I'd love to talk about that, but there's one thing that you mentioned during the story that I really liked, and that was this uh, this feeling you had that you could not do this forever. Like, well, you ask yourself the question, can I sit in this chair uh, and do this job for the next 30 years, and then you keep pushing it off? Mm-hmm. And I think this is, like, really common, so it's, it's a, I, I'm glad that you touched on it. Um, I was in a relationship for a couple of years, uh, actually a year and a half, I think, and, you know, it wasn't a terrible relationship, like, it was good, mm-hmm. but... I knew that she wanted to get married. And every time I would ask myself, can I see myself spending the rest of my life with this person? My brain would go, don't think about that for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, taking action is so scary, you know? Yeah, well, Thomas, I can relate to that entirely because I actually just um, just a month ago, in fact, what day is it? Is today the 10th? Mm, today is the 11th. So a month ago yesterday, I got married. And That's right. I saw the pictures, yeah. Yeah. So a month ago, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, <clears throat> I knew, uh, I knew that I wanted to marry my wife the day that I met her mm. the very first day. But before I met her, I was in a relationship with a woman for six years that I had the exact same, that I had the exact same hesitation, uh, insecurity about, you know, the future with, I spent six, six years in that, and that, uh, doing that same thing. She wanted to, you know, she wanted to get married. She wanted to have kids. Right. Um, and I would constantly be asking myself, like, is that the right, like, is this, is this the right, you know, is is she the right fit for me? Right. Is, is this the, you know, can we have a great relationship for the rest of our lives together? And I was never certain about it. You know, there were, there would be days where I was like, yes, definitely. But then there were also days, uh, when I, when it was like, no, I'm not sure. And it was like that from the very beginning till the very, very end. Right? So you spent like, six years. But I spent six of- years of, you know, like not allowing myself to, you know, to make a firm decision on it. Right. So like, yeah, like I tortured, like it was, it was in some ways it was kind of torturing for, for six years. It was, and it wasn't all torture. It was a fine relationship, right? Mm. Like things worked, things didn't, you know, it was every, you know, average everyday relationship. But yeah. then once we broke up. And I met my uh, and I met my wife. I knew from our very first date, like this is no, this is what it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. Like uh, you know, things that really, really suck. Those are easy because you you know, like I have to get out of this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a relationship that's comfortable, you start to question, like, do I really deserve more than this? Like, do I need to? Am I being selfish asking for more? This is you know, and you don't want to hurt the person. Um, you're like wondering if you're just. Uh, subjecting yourself to grass is greener syndrome, that kind of thing. Yep. So it's such a difficult decision to make. Yeah. When it's, when it's way, when it's really weighted one way or the other, when it's just horrible and you can't stand it, it's easy when it's just fantastic and you can't get enough of it. It's easy. It's that, it's that gray area in the middle, which is a really big area, mm-hmm. right. Of like, uh, uh of uncertainty, where you're just constantly kind of drifting through every day, like wondering if you're on the right path. And that's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But that, I think at the end of the day, the answer is if you're wondering if you're on the right path, like you probably aren't. Right. But- <laughs> and unlike with a job, like choosing to marry somebody, 
you know, that should be a permanent decision. So yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. It's really funny that you say like right when you met your wife, you know, girlfriend before you married her that you knew you were going to marry her. Mm-hmm. So I've been with my current girlfriend for a little over two years now. Yeah. And now I didn't know that I didn't have like that same feeling the moment I saw her. But the first words she ever said to me were, will you marry me? <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> but I said, maybe uh, it wasn't even, like face to face. She like she like said it out because um, I was like playing DDR and something and I'm like super into it. So I'm pretty good at it. And she saw me playing and she go, will you marry me? And uh, I said, maybe. And we've been together for over two years now. So. <laughs> so guys, if you want, if you want the women to ask you, you have to become like a DDR champion. That's, that's the secret, man. Like, I don't know what all these pickup artist people are talking about whenever, you know, just um, be all super. The moves. Exactly. All the moves. Well, it is all the dance moves, but I'm terrible <laughs> at dancing if I don't have the game to play. So <laughs> I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> so, um, so you got to Riskology. Now, what's happened in the past four and a half years since you, you built that? Um, you've done some pretty crazy stuff. Like you've said question. you ran a marathon on every continent, right? Yeah, that was kind of the big thing. Okay. I guess. <laughs> I guess. So how'd you I, make that happen? <laughs> um, well, it was, it was just something like I, I'd always wanted to travel more. So like I'd never had the – I never had the – the like it didn't start with like an ambition to mm. see every continent it didn't start it certainly didn't start with an ambition to run ever uh, to run a marathon okay. to run marathons um the way that all started was it was literally it was actually before i launched uh Riscology. it was in that like brief three-month period between um between getting laid off and figuring out what i was you know what the site was actually going to be and what it was going to what it was going to be about um I got a call from a buddy of mine, you know, me, you know, all this time I'm spending sitting, you know, like kind of laying out or laying around on the couch, maybe like writing, jotting notes down on a notebook, but for the most part, just kind of wasting my life away. And, uh, and I got a call from a buddy, um, who lived in Eugene. I live in Portland. It's about an hour and a half drive away. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was just joking around. He was telling me that he was running this marathon uh, and it was coming up in two months and he kind of jokingly said, you should do it with me. And I just kind of thought, okay. <laughs> and he was like, no, I wasn't serious. Like you can't train for a marathon and you can't train for a marathon in eight weeks. Like, don't, don't do that. That's stupid. And I was like, no, I'm going to come down and run it with you. <laughs> Were you so already a runner? Said, What's that? Were you already a runner? I was already a runner. So okay. for a few years I'd been running like five miles a day, like three days a week was kind of my standard, like um, workout plan. Okay. And I'd been doing that for, um, for a couple of years. So I had a base, I had a base built. Right. Um, but then I just decided, all right, well, I've got eight weeks to figure this out. And I did. And then I ran a marathon and, and I beat my friend and he was really pissed. (laughs) And and I decided that I really liked it. I really liked running marathons. And so I always wanted to travel more. Um, and that was like always, um, you know, a goal of mine was to travel more, but that's such a nebulous goal. It was one that I like never acted on because what were the, you know, what were the real actionable pieces of a goal to travel more? Right. I had to pick some places and things to do. And so I decided, well, here's one way to like merge these two ideas together. Wouldn't it be fun to run a marathon on every continent? That would be like a fun goal to, because there's nothing inherently interesting about running a marathon to anybody besides the person running it. Right. Um, and there's not really all that much interesting about just traveling, um, unless you put a, you know, unless there's a story behind it. So I thought, well, here's a good way to merge these two ideas into, you know, a personal project that can, you know, give me something fun to talk about at least while I, while I get this whole thing started. So you, so you started the actual travel process as you were like, right when you were starting to build Riscology. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess, uh. How did you like? You had enough money saved up to fund the travel and to live off of before you started building an income. Well, so now I'm now I'm trying to think back to think just how, exactly how the finances worked out. I definitely had enough money to make it work uh, for a while, not to do all the travel and like continue with living expenses and like continue with my regular lifestyle. Mm. Um, but I mean, I was always I was I've always been a pretty frugal miserly kind of guy. 
Um, I don't, I don't derive a lot of pleasure from, uh, from luxuries and, and, you know, things that, that maybe other people really enjoy spending money on. I'm, I'm, I just don't naturally, I'm not inclined to spend a lot of money. So I was lucky in that regard. Okay. So like, I can, I can survive for a long time on, on very little. I'm very efficient. Um, but the travel portion of it was still going to be quite expensive. And so at that time, that's when I learned how to travel hack. Oh yeah. That's when I, so like, that's what actually made the trip affordable was first of all, I learned how to, I learned how to, uh, or the trips, I learned how to travel hack. So I basically removed the cost of, of the flights and I would stay in, you know, cheap, dirty hostels for the most part. (laughs) It's the best way to do it. Whenever I, whenever I could. Uh Um, and then I also, I used, um, um, I used the blog It was brand new and had no credibility whatsoever. But when I was, you know, some of the marathons I ran were quite expensive because mm. uh, I went and did like, you know, fun adventure marathons because I thought those would be more fun to, you know, just a better memory. And so to, to lower the prices of those, I did negotiate a little bit with, um, or I didn't really negotiate. I just kind of like, um, looking back on it, I see how it could be like, maybe like a little bit douchebaggy. But like I would find the organizers of the race and I'd be like, Hey, my name's Tyler. I run this website and I run this website where like I'm running a marathon on every continent and I'm writing about it. And like, um, your marathon's a little bit expensive, but I sure would love to do it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, kind of one of those like, it's like like, a publicity exchange kind of thing, publicity exchange kind of thing. Okay. And, uh, but it, but it all worked out and actually everybody, like not everybody, but for the most part, people were pretty receptive to it. And so I found uh, using my website and you can do this. Anybody who has a website, right? Like if you have a blog, you can use it to, you know, to, to barter, uh, with all kinds of things, right? Like there are lots and lots. If you have a hobby, start a blog about your hobby. And all of a sudden that hobby can become a lot more affordable. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I'm serious. Well, I get, uh, review copies of books sometimes. Usually don't ask, they just send them. But if you have a platform, like you, like that's, I guess that's an instrument of value just like yep. money. So, yeah. um, you can use that. Yep, exactly. Cool. So, uh, I want to know about the Antarctica one because, you know, I don't know much about travel to Antarctica, but I did some research on like how to go to the South pole. Yeah. And you have to like go down to the South tip of Chile and then like take another plane there. And it's like a super expensive trip. So was that one like really expensive and really crazy to, uh, to organize that was, that was the most expensive of them of them all, but okay. it still wasn't it still wasn't terribly expensive because so I was um, by this time Antarctica was the last marathon I ran, mm. um, of course, um, and by that time I'd had you know four years of travel hacking experience to kind of rely on. So in that sense, like taking the taking the plane, you know, getting all the way down to the to the very bottom, it's actually Argentina. Oh, okay. That you typically leave from um, Tierra del Fuego is the name of the region down there. That's right. Um, but getting all the way down there was was relatively easy. I, it wasn't a super awesome itinerary. I had to spend the night in the in the airport once in Buenos Aires, which isn't very much fun. But uh, <laughs> but still, you know, I got a free you know it was free airfare there and back. Yeah, um, that's then, the curse of travel hacking. Yes. Yeah. Horrible red eye flights. (laughs) Yeah. Once in a, once in a while, if you're, if you're a little bit more, uh, if you're a little bit more proactive about it and do your research and willing to do some like work, you can get better itineraries. But in this case, like it was kind of a last minute, uh, deal that I'd gotten worked out. And so I kind of had to just take what was available. Okay. And then through, um, through a series of events that basically the, I just happened to make a contact with a woman who uh, is friends with a friend of mine who we're all connected via uh, the World Domination Summit, which I'm uh, one of the organizers for. And she just happened to, that year, start doing um, some work, some marketing work for a new uh, cruise outfit that was running cruises to Antarctica. And she was offering... Um, to a couple, like she, they had a couple of spots on a cruise leaving in January or whatever 
that they wanted that they still had to fill, and so she decided to offer them to folks in the WDS team. And I was the only one who took who uh, to, to, who took her up on it. And Nobody else wanted to go to Antarctica. Well, I think everybody did, but for one reason or another, they couldn't. Uh, oh, okay. Couldn't make it out because you have to commit quite a lot of time to it because it's mm. uh, it's ten days. It's a ten day tour that you do, or actually eleven day tour. Okay. Um, and so I was able to to get a a better than normal rate on the uh, on the actual cruise itself, which can be quite expensive. But that's also like uh, I got that ahead of time. Like that was kind of a benefit that I got. But at the, at the same time, like if you're willing to like just go hang out in Tierra del Fuego for you know a week or so, you know, go you know go party in southern Argentina, you can uh, you can hop aboard for this get the same deal on uh, on last minute cruises because none of those boats that leave for Antarctica want to. And this is true for cruises in general. They don't want to leave with an empty room. Right. If they leave port with an empty room, that's lost revenue. Mm-hmm. And so towards the in the last few days. Uh, of them trying to sell tickets to um, you know on their on whatever itinerary, they drastically reduce their prices if there's empty rooms. Interesting. And often, and often, what that means, and this is even more, this is even cooler, is that often the rooms that go unfilled are the most expensive, right? The, like the most really? luxurious, like high class, you know, like the like the really nice suites, mm-hmm. and they offer them for l- oftentimes less than. Than what the people who booked ahead are paying for, like you know, down in the in the lower cabins. That's so pretty cool. Get, yeah, if you're willing to, like, if you're if you're willing to like hang out and kind of take that risk, although it's not that much of a risk because there's actually quite a lot of availability because there's a number of charter uh, companies doing it. Um, if you're willing to hang out for a couple of days and just you know visit a couple of travel offices, you know, maybe once a day while you're hanging out down there, you'll you'll probably find you'll probably find something, a pretty good deal. That's really cool. So did you get one of those super nice rooms? Yep. That's yep. awesome. I got, the, I got one of the top suites. I haven't done a whole lot of travel hacking myself, but my one travel hacking story is that I got uh, first class to Japan yeah. for like 600 oh, bucks. <laughs> oh, hey, that's a, that's a good, that's a good deal on a, on a first class flight. It's from, insane. From, from uh, Detroit. From Detroit. Okay. Like that's, it should have been like a $5,000 ticket. Yeah. Um, the story is my friend, he had a exchange or exchange dad in, uh, Japan Mm -hmm. and that person worked at Delta. So what Delta employees can do is they have like these buddy passes they can share with people and it gets you a ticket for, I think it's like whatever it costs the plane, the airline to get you there. It's like non-rev, like no revenue. Mm -hmm. So that was like a $630 ticket to Japan. Um, but we had just a terrible time getting on a plane to Tokyo. We ended up getting stuck in Minneapolis for a night. And then we were like, let's just go try from Detroit and see if that works. And just couldn't get on a flight to Tokyo. So eventually they were like, you want to go to Nagoya instead? And we we're like, well, we have the train pass for free. So might as well. We can go anywhere in Japan. To, yeah. Yeah. Cause if you, if you get a JR pass, you can just have unlimited train travel for mm-hmm. one flat rate, which is great. And we had that. So we're like, sure, we'll go to Nagoya. Um, the plane was full, but for one seat, and we were like, "Let's just send people to Japan in in like uh, as many groups as it takes, because there's just no seats available." So they yep. put me on the plane, and the person that had not like had canceled was first class. Nice. So I'm just like, and they, I felt bad, like I felt guilty because they were coming up to me like being way too nice, and they were like, "Thank you for flying with us, Mr. Frank." Well, to like, the uh, <laughs> yeah, to to the to the uh, flight attendants on the plane, you're the same as anybody. Like whether you pay mm-hmm. zero dollars or ten thousand dollars for your seat, it's all the same to them. They have no idea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that was that was an awesome trip, and the way the flight back was coached. So I was like, oh no. <laughs> that's the, okay. So that's the worst. That that's the uh, that's kind of like the like the, the treachers of, um, of lifestyle inflation, right? It's like mm-hmm. once you've experienced first class, like sitting in economy again, it's like, oh man, I did not want to be back here. <laughs> yeah. And that was a thing. Like when I, when I sat in the first class seat, I was like, this is temporary. It will not yeah. happen. I've been trying to <laughs> deliberately like question the inflation in my lifestyle since graduating yeah. and like, see like what, you know, what do I really need? Mm-hmm. Um, like I tried scotch for the first time a couple weeks ago. And my friend recommended like a $50 bottle and I was like, this is amazing. And then I went and forced myself to buy like one for half the price just to see if it was fine. And it is. So I'm yeah. really not oh, going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty good too. You know, it's not as good, but 
If, and then I know, tried, and then I tried sitting behind the Seven Eleven with a bottle of Mickey's, and I was like, "Hey, this is the life." <laughs> it's, it's in a paper bag, man. This was cheap. I brewed it in the toilet. <laughs> well, I guess distilled it. <laughs> so, um, so this like this cruise that you got on in in Antarctica. I can't say that word for whatever reason. It's a tough one. Uh, it came through these relationships that you built through WDS, which I went to last year and it was amazing. Yeah. And I got to see you speaking at the great Namaste world record yeah, attempt, which is yeah. awesome. So, I mean, obviously you've built all these relationships to be part of WDS. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said, you know, you get your intro, you get your energy from being on your own. So you're an introvert. So what were the steps that you started taking to make it easier to build relationships and, uh, eventually become an organizer for a huge 500 person event? Yeah, well, that's, that's all that's, often asked of me because the two things seem to be from the, you know, from an outside perspective, they seem to be at odds, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm a pretty quiet introverted person. Uh, but then once a year I'm like standing in front of thousands of people on a stage doing my thing. Um, to me, at least the, the actual performance part of it, you know, being up on stage and doing the, you know, uh, the performance stuff to me, I just, I look at that basically as a performance, right? Right. That's kind of how I keep my, my nerves in check is like, I'm putting on, I'm trying to put on a show mm-hmm. rather than, you know, but at the same time, you know, I'm trying to connect with people at the same time. That's what putting on a good show is. But basically I, I try to forget about the fact that there's, you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, standing there watching. <laughs> um, but at the same time, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't feel unnatural necessarily at all for me, at least now, like it did the first few times, but now that I've done it a few times, just like anything, once you've done it a few times, uh, it becomes pretty, uh, pretty run of the mill, pretty standard kind of thing, which is, um, which is really nice. And some, you know, like in some ways it's good and in some ways it's bad, you know, like you'll never get that experience of, of feeling the way you did the first time again. And you'll always look back on it with a little bit of, um, um, you know, it's like one of those memories, the, the nostalgia of it. But right. At the same time, like you get better at, uh, you get better at doing it. Um, so for, for me, uh, it's not, it's not necessarily difficult for me to, to be a part of this big thing. And the joke that I often, that I often make is, uh, you know, I'm not a conference type of person. Like I don't go to, I don't typically go to big events. I'm starting to go to them more now, just like as kind of, uh, reconnaissance. <laughs> um, but well, cause you guys are like building that. a second one, right? There is a, yeah, there's a second, uh, there's a, the second event going on called pioneer nation that right. runs completely independently of, of WDS. Um, but, uh, for me, like, it's all about, it's all about managing my energy. Right. It's all about the fact that like I can commit myself to the, you know, to this big, huge conference experience, you know, and be like completely immersed in it. Uh, and for me, it's for, it's for quite, you know, for the attendees up until this year, it's always been, you know, like three days. And for me, like that intensity actually lasts more like a week and a half. Right. Um, of the, you know, those kind of last minutes building up to getting ready for it. But it's all about, uh, managing, you know, my workload and how I, and how I uh, live my life in that time frame, right? Like, because I don't have a problem at all being in front of a lot of people and doing that as long as, as long as I'm careful about how I use my time when I'm not uh, in front of a lot of people. Right. So like mm. when, if I'm on, if I'm on stage, say in front of, you know, 3000 people, then immediately following that, I'm going to go sit in a room by myself for like two hours and not talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> or if I'm out, uh, or actually more, a more apt example would be if I'm out and about like in that sea of 3000 people, I can say hi to a lot of people. I can, it's totally overstimulating, right? Right. Um, I can't do it for very long. Um, but I can still get great benefits from it. So being in this middle of this big crowd can feel overwhelming. But, uh, what I try to do is I try to find one person who looks friendly and, you know, like, maybe looks a little bit lost or something, maybe is not necessarily part of a big group already. And I'll just go like chat them up. I'll be like, Hey, how's it going? Like, are you enjoying your time here? And being at like a conference like that too, it makes it really easy to start conversations, right? Because mm-hmm. you're all there under the same premise, right? right. You're all there to, you know, you're, you're 
there to either learn the same thing or you're there for the same for a similar reason. Um, it makes it easy to kind of start a conversation because you know you have some common ground mm-hmm. uh, and you can find it pretty quickly. And so for me, like even if I'm in a crowd of three thousand people, that can feel like totally like put me in panic mode for a second. But then I find somebody uh, to talk to. Uh, and then, you know, that one-on-one conversation that really feeds my kind of introvertedness, you know, making that deep connection with, you know, an individual rather than trying to think about, you know, the 2,500 other people standing around me. Yeah. And WDS is kind of special because, you know, I think everyone, all conferences are for like networking or building connections to some degree, but WDS is a little bit different because I guess everyone's kind of unorthodox. Like they're not, they know they're not there for business and they're not there like trying to give up business cards and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And they're all very weird nerds, just like me and you, yeah, probably just like you. So fit into that. If you fit into that category, then it's a good place to go to like meet people in a completely non schmoozy kind of atmosphere and non schmoozy mm-hmm. kind of way. And for me, like what I always say, like my goal every year and this is like very much tied to my introvertedness is I know that I can't like, you know, some people want to go to like conferences like that. They want to meet 3000. They want to meet like all 3000 people and they want to like get everybody's name. They want to get everybody's business card. They want to know what everybody's doing. They want to tell everybody what they're doing. Um, that's totally exhausting and, and I could never keep up with that. So for me, like I love being a part of WDS. Um, but my goal every year is to make one connection, right? So yeah. I might be in a sea of 3000 people, but if I leave, uh, you know, if, if everybody goes home three days later and I've made what I feel like is a meaningful connection, you know, I have an email address with someone that I can follow up with uh, of one person, then I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah, I really like that, actually. And that, that's exactly how I feel. Uh, even at WDS, you know, I, I know that everyone there is super cool and they're all probably have really nerdy interests and they're probably you know, very uh, easy, to, easy to connect with. But what I want when I go to a conference is like to meet one person and then like go off to a bookstore or a coffee shop Mm -hmm. or like go hit up the bar or something. Uh, and actually with WDS, I spent a lot of the time at Powell's books and like just around Portland with a couple of people I met there just walking around exploring. Well, and that's one of the best things to do when you're like, when you're introvert, when you're an introvert at like a big event like that is, um, try to remove yourself from like, cause you can get totally like total sensory overload, Mm -hmm. right? Situation like that. So, if you can meet one, two, three people, right? If you get in a small group, take, you know, take the conversation somewhere else, somewhere a little bit more introvert friendly, like go sit in the park somewhere if it's nice out or go to Powell's or go like grab a drink somewhere. Um, yeah. that's, yeah, that's always a big, that's always a big thing for me. It's like, Oh, Hey, like, it's really nice to meet you. It's a little bit loud in here. Like, do you want to go like walk over the park block, see what's going on over there? I really like that. So I guess here's like the biggest uh, paralyzing, like fearful thing for me as an introvert. And I think this yeah. is going to be really applicable to a lot of students as well. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I can walk up and say hi to somebody like that. That has, it's to the point where it's kind of easy, but the thing that comes next is what scares me. Like after I say hi, after I introduce myself, shake their hand, learn their name, uh, say it over my head, like in my head to 10 times to remember it. Yeah. Right, right, right. What happened? Like I'm scared that there's going to be no like click, like no connection. And it's just going to be awkward. And like, there's nothing to say. And I've had this happen enough times at conferences. Like I know it happens and mm-hmm. I don't want it to happen again. So that like that, that's the biggest fear to approaching people is that fear of the awkward silence, like five seconds after. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So there's um yeah, that's a, that's a big one too. Right. Cause everybody like lots of people are like, yeah, no problem. I can go up and say hi to somebody like introduce myself, but then if then, then, but then what, right? Like, mm-hmm. cause for like, and I don't know if you're like me, um, but I feel like it's kind of a pretty normal introverted, um, um, trait to like kind of despise small talk, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> trying to get through like the formalities of a conversation. Uh, so for me, like there's kind of two strategies I use, um, on the, the first thing is like, I try to always have, like, I try to know before I approach someone, like, something I can say that will like either show that we have a commonality that we can like just start diving into as a topic of conversation. Maybe we're like, maybe like it could be something as stupid as we're both wearing plaid shirts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I wear plaid shirts every day. So like if I see someone else with a plaid shirt, there's nothing remarkable at all about meeting another person with a plaid shirt. But when you're two strangers, like 
I guess I try to remember that like there's a good chance that like, you know, introverts are 50% of the world. Right. Right. Like there's a good chance that they're, you know, they're also an introvert and just having something stupid to like break some common ground on to get the conversation flowing. They'll be perfectly happy. Even if it seems stupid, they'll be just as thrilled that we have something to, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> something that works for me is like, rather than trying to get through like the formalities of like, what do you do? Like, where are you from? Like, sometimes I'll just open with like, so what's your story? Like, why are you here? Yeah. Uh, for, a, for a conference or something. Um, you know, that's, it depends on what kind of circumstance you're in, but something that like, there's all, there's almost always a way to introduce yourself and start a conversation in a way where you don't have to like come up with a script of what to say, just a few questions to ask to get people like thinking about, you know, themselves so to get them sharing something with you. Yeah. Yeah. And then also the second strategy is, is that like, like you said, it all, you know, like it's, it's bound to happen. You will not like meet lots of people and not ever run into a situation where like, you know, where things just get awkward and you, you're not quite sure what to do. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, remind yourself that you're in a temporary situation, right? Like it's awkward now, but you're always like, you're always welcome to like, neither party is, is ever like required, uh, to continue a conversation if they don't want to. Right. And that can be, that can be awkward if you're like standing with nothing else to do, like just to like turn around and be like, Oh, okay. Well, that was great to meet you. Talk to you later. Yeah. I've done that. I've done that before. Like just to get out of an awkward situation, which I think is totally acceptable. Like if the conversation is just not working, mm-hmm. like give yourself permission to excuse yourself. <laughs> um, the other person is probably going to be relieved. That takes it, and they could be just as relieved as well. Yeah, yeah, it takes a little bit of like getting used to to do that. But one thing, uh, one thing I like to do um, that has really helped me is I try to like only open and approach conversations in place in settings that give um, give everybody an out mm-hmm. if they want them. So, like for instance, like waiting in line or something like this. This is more apt for women than it is for men. But like waiting in line for uh, at, at the bathroom. Right, you can strike up a conversation with somebody in line in the bathroom, uh, and you know that like you only you, like if you don't want to, as soon as like somebody's headed to the stall, you can end your you can end your interaction there. Right, or in line uh, maybe a better place is at the bar, right? Like you're yeah. in line at the bar, like waiting to get a drink. Strike up a strike up a conversation like when you're two or three people away from the front of the line. Mm. That way you can kind of feel out things like. And you know that like in the next like two minutes, if you can keep things going for two minutes, you can totally excuse yourself if it's not working. But if it is, then you can share a drink together. Yeah. Yeah. This, so this reminds me of, uh, going into the sessions at WDS. So if I'd get into the auditorium, like 15 minutes early and sit somewhere and then someone would strike up a conversation with me, you know, I, I would be like, Hey, what's up? But in the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh, uh, I'm like stuck here in this seat for 15 minutes before the session starts. And there's no yeah. like, there's no easy out. So if the conversation like goes silent. I'm just going to be sitting next to this person awkwardly that I've made a connection <laughs> with. But if I get in there like three minutes early, I can easily meet somebody. And then, uh, Tyler's going to come on the stage or Chris is going to come on and say, Hey, you know, let's start the session. There's yeah. the easy out. And you can get, and, uh, and you can get just as much meaningful interaction in, in three minutes as you can in 15 minutes. Mm. Right. Cause the 15 minutes is like where like kind of the, uh, <laughs> insufferable small talk comes into play. Yep. But when you only have three minutes, right, it almost kind of forces both parties to get real mm-hmm. with each other, like from the very beginning, right? Because if, if you want to like make a connection, then you have to kind of exchange actual valuable information Yes. in that short time frame. And then that's, that's almost best because it's a nice brief conversation with someone new. You give like you fought or you, you both go away from the situation with me with some contact information to where you can follow up in your more like introvert friendly kind of way, like, you know, via email or a phone call, even if you wanted to or something, but not feel like forced to try to come up with conversation. Yeah, exactly. Over, you know, over a long period of time. And I think for coming up with conversation, quote unquote, uh, really the best thing that I've learned is just to take interest in the other person. So one of the first per- people I met when I got to Portland uh, was a guy named Joel. He runs a site called Value of Simple, I think. Yep. Um, maybe you know, I'm not sure. I know Joel. Zazlowski. Oh, yeah, he's, he's such a cool dude. But like the first thing, he's, hey, I'm Joel, and he handshake, and he's just like, what are you passionate about right now? I was like, that's what he asked me. He didn't ask me what I do, like what my work is. He's, what are you interested in? 
And so I thought that was a fantastic way to open the conversation because I can like, I'm like, he's giving me permission to launch into whatever I'm geeking out about at the moment. I don't yeah. have to say like what my job is or, you know, what I do. I can say like what I'm really into at the moment, which yeah, is that's cool. A, that's a great way to open a conversation because right. Like how great is a conversation going to be if you open it with somebody say, so what do you do? Like what, like what kind of job do you work or whatever? Mm-hmm. If most people don't really like their job, then that's going to lead to kind of like a negative feeling conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, but if you start with something that like gets people excited to talk, like what are you passionate about? Right. Like what's something cool you did in the last week or like what's something you're looking forward to? Um, you know, that's like, that really changes the, like the whole tone of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I think like either that or, um, taking or, uh, like offering to help somebody with something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been, I was reading your site a few years ago and I really admired your work and everything. And then I saw that you were having website trouble. And the reason I offered, you know, one, I wanted to help somebody cause I had a skill, but it wasn't like I was expecting to get paid or anything. I was just like, Tyler is cool. And I want to make a connection with him. And I know I can help with this. And it's less awkward for me to do that than to like email and try to say something to strike up a conversation. So that was, you know, I think that was how I first started talking to you. And now we're like talking about video stuff and audio stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Now we connect on a regular basis. Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's been really fun. Yeah. That was actually a really great, uh, that was actually a really great way to do it. Cause that was like kind of one of those moments where like, um, where like I was kind of in desperate need for like some help and you just like stepped right in and like helped me. And I was like, wow, this guy is like amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and that was like, what, that was like probably more than two years ago. Yeah. It was uh, where, early 2013, I think. Yeah, there was no like formal introduction like hi, my name is I run this website and do these things. It was just kind of like hey, we've got this like mutual exchange thing here. Mm-hmm. Like let's do it and that turned into like an actual friendship. Yeah, exactly. And I I really like that because at least in like the work I do when there's like formal introductions, there's almost like this subtext like you're going to have to do work. Like when you make this connection, I think. Uh but when it's less formal, like you know it's you're just talking as people it's not like somebody emailed you with like the intention of working down the line or, you know, mm-hmm. getting promotion or something. Yep. So I really like that. Um, so you're building this course on networking for introverts and we've had a lot of, you know, great tactics and, and little strategies in this, uh, conversation, but what is the course going to go over? The course is going to go over. So I've been doing a lot of research specifically on Twitter. Uh, I've mm-hmm. been asking cause I have, I seem to have, a lot of uh, a lot of friends on Twitter who are like of the you know of this of the same introvert persuasion. I've been asking them all sorts of questions about what types of things they want to learn about you know getting better at building connections and you know uh, advancing relationships and business you know business relationships and things like that. And so what the course is going to focus on um, almost entirely is uh, it's in person connections because what I've mm-hmm. realized based on the feedback I've gotten from everyone is that. You know, as an introvert, you're already probably pretty good at doing the whole the whole online connection thing because that's your game. Yeah, right? like that's where you that's where you you already shine at. You know how to do that because that's what you prefer. Um, but then a lot of people um, still need to do that sort of in person, like how to uh, how to build connections, like live face to face connections. Like that's still a part of life, right? That's, right. And that's the that's the part that people you know introverts even even me. Right. Like I've built all of these strategies and kind of tricks over the years. Um, but it's something we struggle with is doing the in face, uh, the face to face, uh, connections. So it's going to focus entirely on how to do face to face connections in a way that, um, in a way that stays true to, you know, yourself as an introvert, like leaves you, like leaves you feeling good about the type of, of connections you're building and like doesn't totally wear you out. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And so I guess we're recording this in November, but you're planning on getting it ready to go. You said planning, planning to launch, planning to start, uh, start, uh, letting people know about it in reality, actually like in January. Okay. Cool. Don't have a, don't have a launch date in place yet, but like the plans are moving forward. Pretty yeah. Rapidly, yeah. So. Yeah. I know. I totally know what it's like to like be building something big while yeah. you're also trying to create weekly yeah. content and stuff like yeah. that. It's just yeah. crazy. You got to be careful about what you promise in terms of like launch dates and things like that. Mm-hmm. Though I, there, I think there is sometimes value in committing publicly. Oh, there is, there is. Yeah. For me, it's like, there's a, I've, uh, I haven't figured out exactly what it is, but there's a line that has to be drawn where like, 
a certain amount of work has been done to where you feel confident that you can that you can finish the rest of it in a certain okay. amount of time. That's that's kind of that's kind of my uh, that's kind of my strategy. So I'm not to that kind of breaking point yet. But once I'm there, then I'll then I'll announce a launch date. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's something that I'm definitely going to be following because I am still an introvert. <laughs> and it, even when, uh, well, and you, you always will be, just like I always will mm-hmm. be. But that yeah. doesn't mean like that doesn't limit you in any way. It just changes the tactics that you use. Yep. Just want to be a more skilled introvert. Yep. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny. Like even with people that I feel like I'm friends with online, uh, if I you know sometimes I meet them in real in real life, and like. The initial meeting is awesome, but then you both realize, like, oh, we're introverts and we're in person. What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't like tweet you back and just go do whatever I'm doing. I have to talk to you now. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's always good. And I, so I definitely will be letting uh, people listening to this or reading my blog know about that because it's something that I'm interested in. Um, but beyond that, I think it's just, go get practice, like go to a conference or go to a club meeting or something. Right. Yeah. The, the best thing you can do is just like pick like one small thing that would get you closer to feeling comfortable in a, you know, in a live atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, you know, just take some of the, uh, just take some of the, of the tips, some of the ideas that, you know, that you and I talked about today on this, uh, on this, uh, on this call and like, spend just go to a you know go to a live event or something go to some like you know a meetup go on get on meetup.com and find don't try to find a networking oh, event yeah. just try to find something interesting to like you know the people are doing something like a board game night or like even just going to like a board game night and you don't even have to go for the whole time you could literally show up for like 15 minutes and be like say hi to people and then and then take off like you're you get to make the rules, right? Like yeah. there's no rules that say like, this is how you have to do it. Like you just do it however it feels comfortable to you. And as long as you do it over and over again, you know, you'll get more and more comfortable with it and it'll get easier and easier. Yeah. I like that you say board game night. Uh, I've had people ask me like, what do I do if I'm moving to a new town and got a new job? You know, I just graduated and, uh, I'd be like, go to your local card shop and start playing magic because you'll yeah, meet people. You'll, you'll meet people. Yeah. And you can yep. probably find, I didn't even think about board game nights, like, like little meetups and stuff, but that's probably another way to do it. And mm-hmm. the cool thing about those is you're doing something else. So the, the it's conversation not a, is not yeah. the, the like grand stage. Yeah. The networking events themselves are actually, those are the worst things to go to. Cause those, that's the only people who go to networking events are people who like are there specifically to talk about talking to people. Yep. You so, know what I mean? So yeah. those, like, don't go to those in any way, shape or form. Instead, find something it's just interesting and fun for you that people are gathered around a concert, a game night, whatever, um, a kickball team. I don't care. Um, something like that. And then the conversations naturally and the conversations are way easier and way better. Yep. <laughs> How often do you like meet people for coffee? Uh, almost at least, at least once a week. Wow. Okay. Like um, new person or like recurring I would say 50%, 50% new, 50% recurring. Okay. Sometimes like, sometimes like I'll meet like four or five people in a week. Uh, other times, uh, I'll go two or three weeks without, but I'd say on average, probably like one new person, one, well, probably one new person every other week or so. That is an so, awesome thing to do as well. So that's like, that works out to like, you know, over time, that's something that I can commit to. It's a level that like feels comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, over the course of a year, that's 26 new people. Exactly. Yeah. I should probably do that more often. Uh, just watching like my girlfriend, when I met her, I brought her to a networking event because she wanted to come hang out with me. And yep. she was like, she was like, I never want to go to that again. This is terrible. Yep. Um, and then I'm, I encouraged her to go ask some designers out for coffee just to ask what they do, like informational interview kind of things. Yep. And like an ancillary benefit to that is now she is willing to go to events and things. Uh, she's more comfortable around that. I think like, meeting people for coffee that are, that you don't know, it sort of shows you what sort of connections could be made if Mm -hmm. you do go to an event. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. So if people want to, uh, find you online or maybe network with you, (laughs) quote unquote, um, don't network with me. Don't network with me. Just send me an email. Like, yes, be a real person. (laughs) So where should they go? Go to riskology.co. So co, not com, not com. Okay. Co. And uh, you're, I know you're on Twitter. Twitter's probably, it's my favorite network probably. So is it yours yeah. too? Yep. 
Cool. Javorin, you can find me there. All right. And I will link to both of those in the show notes. But hey, thanks so much for coming on the, the show. It's been my pleasure. This is a great non-networking conversation. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Tyler. Once again, if you've got questions about college, about studying, about making connections, being an introvert, trying to not be an introvert, whatever, email me. I'm Thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. I would love to hear from you. Or if you prefer Twitter, I'm at Tom Frankly over on Twitter. And I actually prefer Twitter. The short form uh, medium is really nice to be able to take, take a break from my work and, and answer some questions or connect with some people and then dive back into the things I mainly do for my job. So over on Twitter, I'm at Tom Frankly. Otherwise, if you want to find my favorite resources for being a better student, uh, places where you can get cheaper textbooks, productivity apps, um, networking tools, all sorts of cool stuff. You can find them over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. And if you want to support the show, subscribing does that. It helps bump the show up the rankings in iTunes. I think iTunes just takes the number of subscribers that have added themselves to the list within the past week and juxtaposes that with all the other shows and comes up with the chart. So the higher the show is on the chart, the more people that can find it and the better off students everywhere are so if you want to support the show you can do that very easy thing of subscribing on itunes it also kicks the latest episode to the device of your choice monday morning at 6 a.m central when i publish these episodes and if you really want to support the show you can also leave an honest rating and review on the itunes page so that's it stay cute and i will see you in next week's episode thanks for listening to the college info geek podcast grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.